Nahum chapter 3. We do not need much in the way of introduction. Let's just go after these verses. Comfort ourselves with the understanding of them. Rejoice in the God that wrote them. Rejoice in the God that fulfilled them. And humble ourselves before Him, lest He turn in vengeance on us as well. The Lord shall judge His people. Let it not happen to us. Verse 1. An intro to another view. Woe to the bloody city! It is all full of lies and robbery. The prey departeth not. Woe! A word in the Bible meaning judgment, trouble that is coming. Pain and anguish coming upon the bloody city. And by the name bloody city, Nineveh is is declared to be one filled with violence and murder. If you are to just make a cursory study of Assyria, you will find that their soldiers and the cruelty of their armies was hardly matched in the history of the world. Assyria, when they would take a city, would haul the men out. They would take a large, a a decent percentage of them, chop off their ears, nose, and lips, cut out their eyes, and leave them that way. They would take another group of men and cut off their hands and their feet and leave them that way. They would behead many and build little towers of their heads at city gates. They had a special group of flayers that would go with their army. And flayer does not mean F-I-L-E-T. It means F-L-A-Y. They would strip the skin off men until they covered the city walls. They would nail the skin of their victims up as a reminder, you do not mess with our empire. When transportation was difficult, when communication was difficult, how did you manage an empire from Egypt to Pakistan? Fear and terror and bloodshed. You can tell that kings of that generation were like that by reading the book of Daniel and seeing what Nebuchadnezzar was like. You can also tell they were that way by the speech of Rabshakeh. It wasn't very gentle. They were a bloody city. This is well known about them. And so the Lord is saying woe to the bloody city with an exclamation point. It is all full of lies and robbery. They have lied their way into cities, into confederacies. They took payment from Hezekiah, who tried to buy them off and came against him in battle anyway. Full of lies, robbing other nations and cities of their treasures to put in their own. The prey never left them. All they were doing was rapacious for more prey, seeking for more prey, another kingdom to take. As we read in Isaiah chapter 10, all he wanted to do was add to his empire and take the riches of other nations. Verses 2 through 4 are the catastrophic and justifiable judgment of this city. The noise of a whip and the noise of the rattling of the wheels and of the prancing horses and of the jumping chariots. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. And there is a multitude of slain and a great number of carcasses. And there is none end of their corpses. They stumble upon their corpses. Because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot, the mistress of witchcrafts, 
that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. We have the word because in verse 4, because verse 4 is the reason for what's in verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 are simply describing their arriving army in other terms. The noise of a whip. Men use whips to extract the utmost speed from their horses, whether they're on their back or they're driving their chariots. The noise of the rattling of the wheels, of the prancing horses, and of the jumping chariots. They did not have a suspension quite like the car you're going to drive home. So they bounced when they were jerked by the horses, and they would leave the ground and come back to it. And so there's all this clatter of this army coming to approach Nineveh. The horseman lifteth up both the bright sword and the glittering spear. They're not in scabbards. They are lifted up high because they are going to use them on Nineveh, the bloody city. And there are so many slain that they're stumbling over the bodies. The corpses are everywhere as they slaughtered the city of Nineveh in God's judgment upon them. Because, verse 4, of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot. For those of you that read Ezekiel 31 last night, you know what he's talking about. Why was Nineveh so great? Why was it rich? Why did it have such libraries? Why were its conquests so successful? Because God blessed them. God blessed them. Ezekiel 31 describes it. Here's the well-favored harlot. Instead of giving God the glory who had made her great, she gave the glory for her city to her gods like Nisroch, where Sennacherib was killed by his sons while worshiping. This is spiritual adultery. The city was known for its own literal adultery, but the well-favored harlot here gives it away that we're talking about a prosperous city that did not give God the glory. We live in a prosperous nation, and we better make sure that we thank the God of heaven for all the things that we enjoy in America in 2007, and they are many. They are many. But when we are so well-favored, we know that those things have come from the Lord and we should give God the thanks for them, or we will be considered as ungrateful as the Assyrians because of the multitude of the whoredoms of the well-favored harlot. She had more gods and she accumulated gods. You can go read about it. Google Assyria religion. They had so many gods for all sorts of things. They believed that any event and anything of nature was a god of its own. So they were committing whoredom all the time when there was one god that had made them great. And those men that started that city knew about that God. They had come out of the Tower of Babel and they were the immediate, they were the close descendants of Noah and his sons. And yet they gave God no glory, but made gods unto their own liking. And so it is spiritual whoredom here that's being primarily described by the well-favored harlot who did not give God the credit for the beauty, riches, power, and successes of the city of Nineveh. The mistress of witchcrafts involved in the worship of false gods that were devils, as the Bible tells us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that when the Gentiles worshipped idols, they were actually worshipping devils in the witchcraft of her priesthood and the religions of Assyria. And they are terrible. Every woman, you don't even want to know, but I'm not even going to tell you. It's the mistress of witchcrafts. 
That's, and that was not to get your interest up. It's not worth saying. The mistress of witchcrafts that selleth nations through her whoredoms and families through her witchcrafts. She was constantly picking up religions, casting off religions, ridiculing religions, adopting religions, forcing religions on different people through her idolatrous worship of the devil and her false gods and never gave God the glory. And so we have the word because at the front end of this fourth verse. And it's the reason for why there's so many corpses. The catastrophic wipeout of the city of Nineveh was for her wickedness. We come to verse 5. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. We had those words in the last verse of chapter 2. Behold, I am against thee, saith the Lord of hosts. And I will discover thy skirts upon thy face. And I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. And I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile. And will set thee as a gazing stock. And it shall come to pass that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? This is the consequence of spiritual adultery. Now follow the analogy, and this analogy will help you understand much of the Bible. When there was an adulteress, or a wicked prostitute, or... When they took captive women, the words here are to be understood of what they did in punishment to wicked women who were unfaithful sexually. I will discover thy skirts upon thy face. The clothes of a woman are ripped up over her head because they don't want to see your face. All they're doing is exposing her private parts and revealing her nakedness and making her a gazing stock for her enemies to put her to shame. I will discover thy skirts upon thy face. I will show the nations thy nakedness and the kingdoms thy shame. A woman is beautiful when her hair is well set. I have the Bible to back me up on this. For those of you that disagree. A woman is beautiful when she has well set hair, she has perfume on, and she has nice clothing, and she's painted her face, and she's done some other things to make her body attractive. But these men would take them, these women out in public and throw their skirts up over their face and head. There was no hair or face visible just to reveal the nakedness of their body and leave them in public. And as the next verse describes, they would put excrement on their bodies and leave them in public for vile shame of the wickedness of these strumpets, prostitutes, whores, adulteresses for the judgment of that nation of Assyria. And it was common among the nations. But the Lord is using that treatment of wicked women to describe what He's going to do to Assyria that He introduced to you as a well-favored harlot. Oh, she was a well-favored harlot. She had the right curbs in the right places. And she had lots of them because she was a very prosperous city. For those of you who've read your Bible, you know that God talked this way to Israel and Judah over and over. You know this, where he uses the same words, I'll discover your skirts on your face. They'll be thrown over your head to reveal your nakedness. And men will go by you as a gazing stock and say, can you believe anyone ever touched that? And the Lord's going to do that to the city that he's comparing to a woman. And we cannot forget that the Lord talks that way about us 
when we play friends with the world. And that's the lesson we've got to take out of this that applies to our lives. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. I will cast abominable filth upon thee and make thee vile and will set thee as a gazing stock. Her garments pulled up over her face and her body exposed to the, to the gazes of men who would ridicule her and despise her. And so the words are, it shall come to pass in verse 7 that all they that look upon thee shall flee from thee and say, Nineveh is laid waste. Who will bemoan her? Whence shall I seek comforters for thee? This woman that was in courts and took men and took their money and sold her body. Look at her now. And the city that was beautiful with its temples, with its palaces, with its wall, leveled to the ground, emptied of anything of value. And so all the nations would look at her like men would look at a, an adulteress in a city and say, look at Nineveh. Look what's happened to her. Who in the world would touch that city? Who would bemoan her? Who's going to weep for her? There's no friends left. Look at how ugly it is. Hope, I hope that you can follow the analogy. Let me remind you of a few chapters in the Bible. Ezekiel 16. Long story made short. I found Israel in a field. They were a little baby that had not had their belly button cut nor swaddled. They were in their blood. And I said, live. I found Israel in that condition and I said, live. The God of heaven. It's a wonderful love story. Ezekiel 16 is a wonderful love story. I said, live. Then I helped her grow up. Her hair grew out. Lydia, there's hope. Her hair grew out. Her breasts were fashioned. Her body developed. The Lord, what's he talking about? He's talking about taking little Israel, a bunch of servants down in Egypt, taking them to Canaan and giving them everything. And so they developed as a nation. Are you able to follow the analogies of Scripture? Till he made her beautiful. He's describing her as a woman, though. He made her beautiful. And then she decided that she didn't like to remain at home with the worship of God. So she went down to Egypt and found her paramours there. Now, what do you think that word means? Do you know what a paramour is? Do any of you read any literature? I hope you don't. A paramour is a lover. She went down to Egypt and found her lovers because she picked up their gods. He goes on to describe in in graphic language in Ezekiel 16 and Ezekiel 23 that she went to Assyria because of their beautiful men and fell in love with them and committed adultery with the Assyrians, then the Babylonians. And what the Lord is doing through this long story, He's saying everybody that came by, you opened your legs to them. That's the language the Lord uses because what He's talking about is I was your God, and every other God you heard about, you built them a temple. Solomon did that. Solomon was building temples to all these false gods. But he uses it, and that is the most powerful language that God could possibly use to tell us men what it's like when we get caught up in the world. When you're a friend of the world, it is the same as committing adultery of a woman to you. And we're doing it to the Lord, and Israel did it. And he says, I'm going to discover your nakedness. I'm going to punish you. This is Ezekiel 16. Then when he gets to the end, he says, if you'll come back to me, I'll take you back. Can you believe it? 
There's a God in heaven, and He's full of mercy. It's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And don't, don't be embarrassed or ashamed at the terrible language I have to use. It's God's language. Right. You know why? Because sin is far worse than you think it is. It's far worse than I think it is. And do you know how you really get it to look ugly? You describe it in ugly terms. And the Lord describes it in ugly terms. And He's doing it right here. But this isn't Israel. This isn't Judah. This is Nineveh and Assyria. And they were a well-favored harlot. And they sold themselves to every god that there was and did not give God the glory. And if you say, who is the Lord that I should serve Him? God is going to rip you and make you ugly and expose your shame to the world. And do you know what that city has looked like ever since? Mounds beside the Tigris River that they couldn't even identify that there was ever a city there for 2,000 years. Now that's an ugly woman, isn't it? And God did that. You know, you've never seen war like the wars described in the Bible. Where it happened literally. Where the women were ravished of Israel and Judah when God punished them. And where this description, this description here is of a figurative nature of what God's going to do to the city that he pictures as a woman. But let me say one more time, let us not go home out of this assembly or out of the assembly this morning and just think that we've learned a little bit of history about the overthrow of Assyria and Nineveh. Let's go home and make sure that we are not committing adultery in the least way with our God who has adopted us and who has engaged us and who is married to us. He has saved us and married us. And if you go home and are a friend of this world, I don't care what you do. You get caught up in this world and you waste the rest of this day thinking about yourself or worldly things. You've committed adultery against the God of heaven. All he said is, if you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. Because you've committed adultery against the God of heaven. Let's not let that be true of us. It was true of this city that did not give God the glory. We come to verse 8. And we want to read verses 8 down through 11. Art thou better than populous No, that was situate among the rivers, that had the waters round about it, whose rampart was the sea, and her wall was from the sea? Ethiopia and Egypt were her strength, and it was infinite. Put and Lubum were thy helpers. Yet was she carried away, she went into captivity. Her young children also were dashed in pieces at the top of all the streets, and they cast lots for her honorable men, and all her great men were bound in chains. Thou also shalt be drunken, thou shalt be hid, thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. This is a history lesson. Nahum pulls a history lesson for the benefit of Nineveh. Have you all forgotten in Nineveh that the great city of No in Egypt was overthrown when they thought it was impregnable? It was situate on rivers. It had lots of protection. And it was overthrown. Why do you think you're going to survive? No is what we get in our English Bibles from a Hebrew word. No Ammon. Which is not important. If you go look up No Ammon, you'll find out that it's Thebes, the capital city of Egypt, during a number of its dynasties. Today it's not called Thebes. It's called Luxor, which is one of the cities there with most of the ruins because it was a very rich and very large and very 
populous city. Because it says, art thou better than populous? No. If we were to go to Jeremiah and other places and look up the other references about the Egyptian city of No, they say in those places, the multitude at No, very populous. And they had support from Lower Egypt, and they had support from Ethiopia, and Put, and Libam, neighboring nations that were able to identify, that are mentioned in the book of Genesis, as the sons of Noah populated the earth, that were to the west of Egypt. Do you remember when a king of Ethiopia came against Asa? How many men did he put in the field? One million. The United States Army has never done anything even close. One million men in the field from Ethiopia. And that's why it's, it's describing here the multitude that No had in its defense. Its strength was infinite. Its help and strength was infinite, according to verse 9. Yet was she carried away and went into captivity. Her young children were dashed. There was no regard for age of her children. Her honorable men and great men were bound in chains and taken off as slaves. Thou also shalt be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. Thou also shalt seek strength because of the enemy. this This is history of no. If you go read about God's judgment of Egypt... He said he would bring a stupor upon all of her rulers so that they would be like drunken men. They would not know how to make decisions. All of their counselors would turn into idiots. Isaiah 29 tells us about it. And so thou also shalt be drunken. I'm going to make you drunken like I made the Egyptians when your military was able to go in and conquer the impregnable, undefeatable city of Thebes. I'm going to do the same thing to you that I did to them. Why haven't you learned from history? No one in the world thought that Thebes could be taken. It was taken. Art thou better than populous No? Do you think you have more to help you than No had? Thou shalt be drunken. Thou shalt be hid. They would, they would run back to hide in their city just like the, the citizens of No had done. Thou shalt seek strength because of the enemy. You will be sending out messengers to every nation that might send men to help you like Egypt had, like Thebes had of Egypt, Ethiopia, Put, and Libam. You're going to be sending out for help. Why haven't you learned from history that I judged one city, I'm going to judge you as well? The prophet here tells us that we should learn from history. Those that don't learn from it are going to repeat it. Nineveh repeated the history of no. Verse 12, we'll read down to verse, through verse 15. All thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. If they be shaken, they shall even fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, thy people in the midst of thee are women. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. The fire shall devour thy bars. Draw thee water for the siege. Fortify thy strongholds. Go into clay and tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. There shall the fire, there shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. It's mockery. It's prophetic language. 
Let's take it very quickly here. Verse 12, all thy strongholds shall be like fig trees with the first ripe figs. The figs that got ripe first become the heaviest and the ripest. And so even a little shaking of the tree, they just drop straight out, drop straight into your mouth. And the prophet is saying, go ahead, get into your strongholds, hide yourself, get all the defense you can, keep the munition, fortify with all your might, gird up your loins. You're going to fall like a first ripe fig falls into a person's mouth that just shakes the tree a little bit. Now that's graphic language. You're going down easy. You're going down easy. The enemies that are going to come are just going to swallow up your fortresses. You're, they're not going to hold out at all. Verse 13, the people in thee, the soldiers, the warriors, the captains, the captains are going to be mentioned shortly, are like women. They're women. They're fearful. They're timid. They do not want to fight. The gates of thy land shall be set wide open unto thine enemies. Not the gates of the city, the gates of thy land. All the outposts that should have been slowing down the advance of this army... As soon as the army approached, the outpost fled and just let the army come right in around the city of Nineveh. The fire shall devour thy bars. Whatever was left in the way of defenses was just burned out of the way as they took the cities. Verse 14, mockery. Draw thee waters for the siege. You know, fill your cisterns so that you have lots of drinking water. Fortify thy strongholds. Get your brick Factories cranking at full speed. Go into clay. Tread the mortar. Make strong the brick kiln. Get your brick factories turning out all the bricks you can. None of it is going to work. There shall the, fower, there shall the fire devour thee. The sword shall cut thee off. It does not matter what defensive measures you take. You are going to be destroyed. It shall eat thee up like the canker worm which is the little inchworm that eventually becomes a certain kind of moth. And it eats all the foliage it can find. It eats the green leaves of shade trees and orchards until the foliage is gone. Those little things that come out from behind the bark on trees and eat everything, you're going to be eaten up no matter how many bricks you use, no matter how you try to defend yourself, Assyria. Nineveh, you're over. Woe to the bloody city. God has declared vengeance on this city that ruled nations for hundreds of years. Now, I love the literature of the Bible. You know, you want some literature? You want some creativity? Watch the Holy Spirit use the canker worm in three different ways, right in succession. Two, in verse 15, The fire shall devour thee, the sword shall cut thee off, it shall eat thee up like the canker worm. Because the canker worm just gets a hold of a leaf and just eats it until there is no more leaf. And then it goes to another one and just eats up the leaf. So it's describing the rapacious nature of the, of the canker worm that destroys leaves. That's how the city of Nineveh is going to be destroyed. But then in the second half of that verse, it turns, Make thyself many as the canker worm. Make thyself many as the locust. Canker worms are very numerous. Wherever they exist, there's lots of them. Where there are locusts, there are many of them. And so it turns to mockery. It's just used the canker worm in one sense that these foreign armies are going to devour Nineveh. Now it's saying, go ahead and multiply yourself like a canker worm. Bring as many troops as you need. The strength of no was infinite. Get as many as you want. As many as locusts in a swarm. 
It will not do you any good. Verse 16. There's another use of canker worm in it. And now we're going to verses 16 through 18 where three different categories of the elite of Assyria are mentioned as no longer having any fight and they're going to be overthrown. Verses 16 through 18. Thou hast multiplied thy merchants above the stars of heaven. The canker worm spoileth and fleeth away. Thy crowned are as the locusts, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers, which camp in the hedges in the cold day, but when the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. Now thy people is scattered upon the mountains, and no man gathereth them. Total chaos and anarchy in the city of Nineveh, because all the men that they had relied on for many years were gone. First category are the merchants in verse 16. Because Nineveh was on a huge river, because it was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, because it was a very ancient city, and because that is where the confederacies were made with so many nations, it was a great city of commerce. Much wealth there. Many merchants. The prophet says you have more merchants there than there are stars in heaven. What do we call that in the English language? Hyperbole. It's an exaggeration to make a point that's understood to be an exaggeration. They had lots of merchants. But now look at the third use of the canker worm. The canker worm spoileth and fleeth away. All these merchants that you've been relying on, that through taxes and other means you have derived benefit and revenue from them, they have just been there while the going was good. All these merchants that came from all over have been there while the going is good, and as soon as the going isn't so good, they're like the canker worm that turns into a moth and flies on away. So all these merchants that you've been relying on for revenue and for taxes, for tribute, they're gone. The wealth of Nineveh is leaving. You can understand that. If men had come from all the nations they had conquered to be merchants in the city of Nineveh, as soon as they realized Nineveh was going to be overthrown, they're going to set up business in Tyre. I think it'd be good to move to Tyre. Sidon would be a better place to do business. And so they're gone. And so the prophet and the Lord by the prophet mocks Assyria and Nineveh for the loss of all their merchants. Verse 17, Thy crowned are as the locusts, and thy captains as the great grasshoppers. Here are the subordinate rulers, the lower rulers, the captains in the military. They're like locusts and grasshoppers, which during a cold night or in chilly weather, they gather in hedges and you can find them all. They band and camp together. But as soon as the sun arises, they leave their hedges where they're hiding and they fly away. Before the sun and the heat of battle arose, oh, Nineveh was full of soldiers full of captains, rejoicing in all their conquests and victories and the medals they had hanging on their chests. But as soon as the heat of battle came, off they went. And look at the prophet making fun of them. When the sun ariseth, they flee away, and their place is not known where they are. They can't be found. Because the Lord put fear into them. Remember, their faces were black. Their knees were shaking. Their loins were pained. Their heart melted. Because the Lord took away the courage that He had once given the Assyrians. 
So their captains and their crowned are gone. Verse 18, Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Here are the magistrates, the priests, the local city and county councilmen, all the nobles of the land that keep the people together. Thy shepherds slumber, O king of Assyria. Thy nobles shall dwell in the dust. They've been killed or they're acting like they're dead. Thy people is scattered upon the mountains and no man gathereth them. All the magistrates, sheriffs, mayors. You say, are those words in the Bible? What book of the Bible are all those words in? The book of Daniel. Talking about the kingdom that followed this one. Sheriffs, mayors, and so forth. All those judges and nobles of a land that keep the people united and together. They're in the dust. The people are scattered. And no man gathereth them. The entire collapse. Can you think of any way to word this in fewer words that describe the total collapse of an empire? All your merchants have disappeared. All your captains are AWOL. And your nobles and magistrates that have kept the people together, they're in the dust and the people are scattered. There's total breakdown of communication, order in the nation of Assyria and in the capital city of Nineveh because God has overthrown it. Verse 19, and the book ends rather abruptly. If you think this is abrupt, go try Jonah, the other book to the city of Nineveh. There is no healing of thy bruise. This is fatal and it's forever. Thy wound is grievous. We've just described it. It was indeed a grievous wound. All that hear the bruit of thee shall clap the hands over thee. What's the bruit? It's in the Bible twice. It means the public record, the declaration, the tidings of what had happened in Nineveh. When people hear what has happened in Nineveh, they shall clap the hands over thee. Can you believe that? The great city totally overwhelmed. Everything gone. For upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? Why did God judge Assyria? because she had been so wicked to so many nations. Upon whom hath not thy wickedness passed continually? While that city and the empire that was kept, that was headquartered in that city was in existence, there was violence and wickedness everywhere. And as soon as she was destroyed, all those nations that had relatives, family trees that had been messed up by these people clapped the hands and wagged and hissed at Nineveh because she was completely gone. And brethren, for 2,000 years, they couldn't find her. This is the judgment of God upon His enemies. What lessons should we, we be reminded of? There is nothing we should ever fear in politics. God raises up nations and He puts them down. What happened to pagan Rome? It's a joke. What happened to papal Rome? It's a joke. What happened to Napoleon? The French are a joke. What happened to Mussolini? He's a joke. What happened to Hitler? He's a joke. What happened to the USSR? It's a joke. God raises up nations and crushes them down. And He's done it, and we can always trust in Him to do it. Especially those that set themselves against the God of heaven, and it's going to happen to this nation unless it repents. A lesson? Though your circumstances might seem overwhelming, God can deliver you like He did Hezekiah. 
The God of heaven will surely judge all cruelty, hatred, malice, and violence in the earth. Just like He returned that on the heads of the Ninevites. There's no enemy a child of God should fear. God will deliver and destroy your enemies. God will deliver you and destroy your enemies. America has been the beauty and the excellence of the earth by the blessing of God for a couple hundred years. But God will strip her of all that if she doesn't repent and if we don't pray for our nation. If Nineveh was judged so severely for spiritual adultery, how will we be judged for the same sin? Assyria combined knew less than you know about the God of heaven. We shall be judged severely for committing spiritual adultery if we are friends of the world and mind earthly things and do not follow the Lord and love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. God's deliverances and God's goodness should lead us to repentance and to righteousness. Like that last verse of chapter 1 tells us, O Judah, keep thy solemn feasts, perform thy vows. If God's delivering you, then you use that advantage, you use that blessing to serve Him. The prophecies and the histories of the history of the Bible is for our comfort and for us to learn lessons that those who turn against the Lord are punished. Those who repent are delivered. Even Nineveh was delivered when they repented at the 40 days of preaching by Jonah. Last of all, brethren, there is a, a fortress in the lake of fire where the devil reigns. And we were willing captives and subjects to the devil in the kingdom of darkness. But the Lord Jesus Christ came and delivered us. We don't need Babylonians, Medes, or Chaldeans. All we need is the Lord Jesus Christ and He came. He's translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. He has saved us from death, hell, the devil, and the second death. We have a great victory to celebrate. This shows God's judgment of men, but God has judged the devil. He raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, and for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's go home. Let's worship the God of heaven. Let's examine ourselves to make sure that we're pure before Him so that He can say, Behold, I am with thee. Let Him not say of anyone here, Behold, I am against thee. Because you have committed adultery with this world by being a friend of it. Let's be the friends of God. Let's sell out our souls to Him. Let's examine ourselves. Let's ask Him to search our hearts, know our thoughts, try us, prove us. See if there be any wicked way in us. And lead us in the way everlasting. And as He leads, let's run behind Him and do everything that He calls us to do. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.